Hey everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you're listening to the Plus One Podcast. Thank everybody for tuning in, everyone that's been sharing the show. We really appreciate you. Um, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, you can listen on Spotify or wherever you listen and follow us there. You can also follow us at Kraz Plus One on Instagram. Want to give a shout out real quick to Osiris Media. They helped me put this show together. They have a lot of other great content that you can find at OsirisPod.com. We have a really great guest on the show today, Mr. Robert Randolph, who I've known for 20 years. He's an incredible musician. He is uh, known as one of the best pedal steel guitarists of all time. Grew up in New Jersey, but traveled all over the U.S. as a child playing uh, sacred steel music, which he learned in the church. His whole family are musicians. Uh, Rolling Stone has included him in their 100 Greatest Guitarists of All Time list. The band has released six albums, and four of which have been nominated for a Grammy. Excited to get into this interview, but we are going to take a quick break first to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's a great guitar player, sacred steel musician, one of the greatest pedal steel players of all time, a great singer-songwriter as well. I'd like to welcome today's Plus One, Mr. Robert Randolph. I just went down a little memory lane session, and I watched a video of me and you playing on Conan. Uh, Yo, that was the one, man. Yeah, we did uh, <laughs> Purple Haze. You know, it's funny. Everybody was like, I, re I remember my uncle and all of them was like, man, that white boy was funky, man. Who is that? <laughs> I uh, said, bro, that's, he said, man, you got to get him. I said, we can't afford him, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I remember, I remember too, we were doing, uh, I think it was around that time, the Sprite tour. That's crazy, man. I didn't even, I totally forgot that you was on the, the Sprite Liquid Mix Tour, man. That's crazy. That totally makes sense, though. I was like, get Kras back out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I just did a few of the shows. I think that was Jones Beach uh, that we yeah. did that we did at that point. But uh, yeah, there was some, I think Quali. In fact, I think Quali was on that tour and Kanye was like his hype man. Bro, all, everybody was on that. Quali, Kanye, Pharrell, The yeah, Roots, yeah, OAR, yeah. Slightly Stupid. I was thinking about it today, and I've known you 20 years. It's actually 20 years, I think, right now. 20 years, Which is bro. crazy. Um, crazy. And I got to tell a quick story about the first time I ever met you and saw you play. Derek Truck's band was playing at the Bowery Ballroom, and he... Uh, I, I told like I remember I had something going on that day and he called me and he's like, Man, you gotta get over here. Uh <laughs> and I'm like, Why? He's like, just trust me, you gotta hear this dude. And yeah. uh I came over there and we both watched you on the side of the stage and we were like, What the hell is he doing? <laughs> I had I had never seen I had seen people play pedal steel, right? But it always had been yeah. in country music and been yeah. like kind of a back I mean, I've heard people take solos, but it was more of like a um, background to a singer, yeah. generally. Mm -hmm. um, so to, to watch you do what you did with it definitely was like a game changer, you know. And uh, and then to come to find out that I think you had just started playing out out of the church, and you could probably tell me a little yeah. bit more specifically. But first off, I gotta say that you had like the I think you had like the button up shirt. You kind of oh yeah, yeah. man. I had my <laughs> church clothes on, man. Church clothes on, <laughs> and. Uh, that which which quickly changed, but 
I wanted to get. Bro, that's how I used to dress back then. Everybody yeah. used to like. It's crazy, man, because everybody used to pick on me. Like, it's like you know, we be, we basically used to at that time we used to play, we used to play in church, and then when church is over, we would literally go to the nightclubs in the hood, man, all in yeah. Newark and Jersey City, and back when remember when Manhattan used to have all the clubs, the tunnel oh, yeah. and carbon and all of that. Oh yeah, yo, oh, yeah. that's how we used to dress back then, man. We was like teenagers going in those clubs, man. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, so man, so yeah, so at the beginning, you know, I had all of my clothes, and I remember my father. Matter of fact, after that Bowery show, I remember I came, I was still living with my father back then. Yeah. And he, I came home, and he was like, he's like, what are you doing? It's like, you've been out there smoking weed and drinking, you've been out there smoking <laughs> weed. I'm like, bro, I don't smoke. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. You smell like weed. And I was like, man, that's the show we came from. Right. He's like, is this the life you're going to be doing? <laughs> wow. Wow. I said, dad, we just came from this club, the Bowery Ballroom, man. All these people, man. Can you believe all these white people were dancing and hanging out? Yeah. Because yeah. don't forget, man, like people forget, like before we start playing those shows, like, you know, our sacred steel music was only in black hood churches all across the U.S. Right. 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 So that was like our own chitlin circuit, man. Like going all the way, literally to the 1930s. Right. Right. All the way back. Like our churches are in every major city, on in every black part of every major city, all the way from Boston all the way down to Florida on the East Coast. Yeah. Then Detroit, Chicago, Kansas City, Compton. Like there's some out there. What were you, bro? Right, right, right. You know, L.A. Uh, like they got the the Compton one. They got the Long Beach one. So like that's the thing, man. So. Like literally playing in, in in front of that hippie crowd at the wetlands and the Bowery Ballroom and the whole NYC freaks with Brandy and all of them. And yep. back in the day, like those were literally the first white people that we played in front of. Right, right. And you know, after like 20 years of growing up in 21 years of growing up in church, man. So I want to get into a little bit of that, too, because for those people that out there that don't know about sacred steel in the house of God. Um, can you give us like a little bit of background to like where the steel came into the, where the steel, it, that pedal steel came into the church and, and uh, how that kind of, cause it basically like replaced the organ essentially, right. Yeah. In, in, yeah. Uh, in those churches. And what, what is, what is some of the like first cats that, that you heard and maybe you can give us like a little bit of history on the sacred steel. Well, being that I'm, you know, I'm a younger, right? Yeah. I, like I grew up, I still had the opportunity when I was young to to see the old legends and then see the next phase of dudes. And then like right. we became, the, I became the next phase of guys with, and that whole thing. So growing up, like my guys were that we watched in church was Henry Nelson, who's, yep. he's basically, Henry Nelson was the guy that started all of this kind of plan. <laughs> That's Henry Nelson right Ooh, there, bro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? And what's crazy is, so Henry Nelson was the first guy that in our church, he died in 2000. Yep. 
Um, then you had Lorenzo Harrison, which was him, Lorenzo Harrison and Henry Nelson were cousins. So Lorenzo Harrison was the first guy in our church to play with the Wawa. So oh, he played the, okay. his whole sound was just squeezing this lemon, this juice out of these. <laughs> Right, that was all Lorenzo Harrison, you know. Wow. So all through the years, right, you know, there would be many, many, many different players because, you know, our churches were in all these different cities. So you would have women, you would have kids. So those two started, then came Ted Beard and Calvin Cook, yep. right, which were young. They were younger than those guys. Then, then you had the Campbell brothers and Roosevelt's uncle, Glenn Lee, and all of those yeah. guys, right, yeah. that were – they were like my father's age, right? And then, then we were the ones that came up in the nineties. So, right, right, like that was like, um, you know, it was just this whole history of th that just was really was all on Chitlin Circuit, man. So, like you, like there was literally something that you would go and play every Sunday. Like, say, hey, hey, Grandma, where you going? Like, hey, come with me, get in the car. We going down to South Carolina State Assembly, right? <laughs> like. Like, well, who's supposed to be down there? Oh, man, yeah, uh, uh, Calvin Cook is going to play. You're like, all right, yeah, let me pack up. I'm going. Yeah. So literally, like my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, like that's literally what we've been doing, right? And it has it's not in the country. Like this was all in like Newark, Jersey City, Brooklyn. Right. Like Henry Nelson's church, bro, Henry Nelson's church was in Brooklyn. Right, you know? right. Crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Henry Nelson's church was in Brooklyn, right? The church is still there, but, you know, he's long gone. But, you know, you have Miami, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Charleston, South Carolina, Charlotte, right? All of these different churches all over the place. When you were a kid, uh, were you you were you were playing in because your dad was a deacon, deacon, Ever, deacon Everett Randolph. And, yeah, yeah, or it yeah. is still to this day, right? Still is. Yep. Still is to this day. Did he get you started playing? Like, did you guys and then from there you started traveling to these different churches? Well, he, well, being at our church, we didn't have a still player in our church, right? Okay, okay. So, and our local church that was in Orange, New Jersey. Yeah. So, yeah, my father was like, you know, because I grew up as a drummer, right? So we were drummers. <laughs> so I just told him because he was friends. He's close friends with the Campbell brothers, like Chuck and all of them. They all the same age, basically, Derek and Phil and all of them. So... He was like, he basically asked Chuck, he's like, man, I need you to buy my son this little left steel, man, and pick him out one because he want to play. Yeah. So, you know, it took me a while to actually, like when he bought it, let me see, he bought it for me when I was like 13. I really didn't start playing it seriously until I was like 16. Wow. Yeah, like it's kind of sat in the room and all my friends would come over and we'd be playing like, you know, Madden 92, 93, 94. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd be like, come on, man. So they'd be all like rapping. I'd be like... But yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's kind of yeah. funny, right? So, like that was the whole thing back then. So, yeah, I mean, so I grew up in the church, and then we had our little orange church, Randolph's, the band, and everybody there, my cousins, and and so it just became a thing, you know. Right. And it wasn't really the band; we're just like the church band, we're the musicians of the church, you know. So, I mean, that was basically it until. You know, actually, one of my cousins, 
1997 gave me a tape of Stevie Ray Vaughan. It was Stevie Ray Vaughan's uh, greatest hits. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I remember, like, I had got my first car. I had this old Lincoln Town car my father gave me. And I'd be all in, like, Newark and Orange, going to pick up people, like, they'd be like, man, what the hell is this she listening to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm like, bro, I'm listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan, man. It's getting down. Yeah, yeah. So that's what literally changed it all around. So that's when I start playing all the fast licks yeah. and and start trying to do all of that kind of stuff, you know? Right, right, right. Did you end up starting, like, traveling with the band? You know, before I saw you at the Bowery, were you doing uh, playing at other churches and stuff like that, or were you mainly just playing in your own church? Well, yeah, no, no. We played, no. Our church was our own chitlin' circuit, bro. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. Like, right. we had our own language our own style of plan like so there was never a shortage of going amongst our ch church organization right okay, so right at, right yeah it's an organization so it was literally in all these different cities called the house of god church right the headquarters is in nashville right we literally own like all of this land in nashville where it was, like, we got our own hotels and all of that kind of thing down yep. there right yep, yep. so but all during the year, there's all these different programs and anniversaries and assemblies that they call them, like which is like a convocation, right? Yeah. So you would have all of these different gatherings. So there was never, like you would literally have to turn down people like, hey, Brother Robert, you know, can you come over? Can you come down to Florida and play, yeah. you know, for our pastor? And you're like, well, I mean, they, first of all, they don't pay you nothing. They just go, yeah. man, we can get you a flight and, you know, pay you $40. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was, yeah, that was part of growing up. And so was Marcus playing, was, was, was like... Was Marcus playing yeah. with you at that point? And he was playing drums? or Because I know he yeah, plays yeah. steel too, right? Yeah, Marcus played drums. His brother was the bass player. So it was Marcus, his brother played the bass player. And then uh, one of my other friends in the church, he was the, the lead guitar player, right? right? Right, And that was the whole thing. Our church didn't have no keyboard players. Like, yeah. you know, the organ player is like the last guy. Like, yeah. like if you play organ, we had to say, bro, you could only play during the choir. You can't play during nothing else. Right, right, right. <laughs> Like you're going to mess up the jam, man. So you got to get out, you know? <laughs> and so, how? yeah, how did it flip to you starting to, like, you know, play more like secular music and playing in clubs outside of the church? Like, what was that? What, 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 what sparked that? In 1999, we had the first Sacred Steel convention. Our church came up because as this term Sacred Steel got coined and this guy named Bob Stone and R. Hooley Records started to document the history of our church's music, right? Yeah. And it was a CD, first CD called Sacred Steel, I believe, right? Sacred Steel Live or something it was called, or Volume 1 or something like that. And so a lot of that word got out. So then everybody was like, and it's kind of funny because this was actually the language. Like, you think we like live on some other planet, right? But it was kind of like, wow, man, you know, white people really like this music. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we would say, right? I mean, like, because it started to get out, right? And then it was like, I think at that time that like the first R. Hooley Sacred Steel box set, it won some like folkloric award or something like that. So, so then we decided to have our first Sacred Steel convention down in Orlando, Florida, where it was just kind of like all of the steel players. We just came together. Everybody had their own little local little bands. And it was kind of like this sort of like showcase, like battle of the bands kind of thing. Right. And because it really wasn't bands. It was kind of like whoever you play with in church or whoever you got together. Yeah. So that was sort of like the showcase. And then I had met Jim Markle. Jim was like because Jim was like this hardcore sort of folkloric music research guy. 
So he was like, hey, man, you know, you're like the young guy that should really could sort of, you know, take this thing to, uh, out into the, the secular world, you know, like, man, people need to hear this music. And like, you're the guy. I was like, really? I was like, man, I'm working at this Jewish law firm, man. I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I got a nice job, you know, yeah. all my friends in college, I'm making money, man. I'm all right, man. I'm like making eight dollars an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's when it, we met Gary, right? Yeah. Gary Waldman. So he introduced you to Gary. Gary. Yeah, he introduced us to Gary. I don't even know yeah. how he found him, actually. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. But he found Gary, who lived here in Jersey. And then Gary had introduced us to this guy, Eric Amble, right, that lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. Roscoe, his was his name, right? He had a studio. And he was like, hey, man, well, why don't you just come to the studio and put some stuff on tape just so maybe we can start sending it out to people and try to get some bookings or something. So we went there. It was actually funny because it was like, it was weird. It was like me, Neil Casal, my other yeah. cousin, right? My, one of my older cousins who was like the original drummer of my church yeah, yeah. at that time. And Danielle wasn't even there. So it was me, Neil yeah. Casal, Kevin, and Eric actually played the bass. And we were just kind of jamming, made this little recording. And then they sent that out. And then the first show we ever did was we opened for the North Mississippi All-Stars at the Bowery Ballroom. See, that was okay. the first one. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so that was the first show because North Mississippi All-Stars was fans of the Sacred Steel because, you know, right. they researched all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that turned into that. And then the next show was like, actually, the next show was that Derek Truck show. Yep, yep. Because I know that, that was, was early one. on. Because I remember, you know, Gary, I was, I can't remember if I was working with Gary at the time, but I was friends with Gary and mm -hmm. uh, who eventually, you know, was working with my brother in management. And all yeah, stuff. yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, he was, he, he was like, yeah, it's one of their, one of their first shows. I remember was what he mm -hmm. was telling me. And uh, yeah. at the time, you know, Derek had actually hipped me to Aubrey Gent. And that's another one I wanted to ask you about, like where he fit into the timeline, because that was, one of the people yeah. I was aware of um, in yeah. Sacred Steel, mm -hmm. but I didn't know much about it. You know what I mean? Well, Aubrey Gent, see, Aubrey Gent is Henry Nelson's son. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay, so that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Yeah, uh, like Aubrey Gent was uh, like, you know, Aubrey Gent, of course, because he was younger. Yeah. So Aubrey Gent was sort of like, so when they were making the Sacred Steel stuff, they had to find they, like these different guys who were sort of the the students of each original guy because the original guys were starting to die at that point and they were old. Henry Nelson had actually had a stroke, so he couldn't play. Right. So Aubrey Gent was his son. He pretty much played almost exactly like his dad, yep. right? Henry Nelson, which is the original moaner of <laughs> what we do. Right. 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 We call him, we call him. So yeah, that that's what Aubrey Gent. Right. Right. And then, then his son, AJ Gent is out there doing his thing. Yeah, his son AJ is doing it. Yep. It's funny because yeah, AJ and it's funny because AJ, he's younger, but he never really seen his grandfather play. And I'd be like, yo, man, you don't even know, man. Like your yeah. grandfather was the dude. Yeah. Like, right. Right. Like he has, I mean, yeah, we have some old tapes, yeah. but he was so young that he he don't really recall how great it was, you know. But like like watching Henry Nelson, like, see, this like we could play all that we could try to play, but it's nothing like playing in our church because that's like the the wet like if the wetlands was open again and we all went in there and did a jam. It's like nothing like that, you right. know? Right, right. <laughs> so our but our church is like it's just this channel, like it's just a switch. Like that's the home of all of the stuff. That's where we go and 
play yeah. all of the different scenes of how we grew up and how the music is actually placed in the service and how you get the most out of this sort of sacred, holy steel sound. Right. And the language that you that you guys are kind of speaking, you know, musically, are you are there are there kind of traditional songs? I mean, I know there are, but like, are you adding more to those traditional songs as time goes on? Or are you guys kind of drawing from the same pool of songs that like Henry Nelson played? All of our early stuff that we did was all the same stuff we played in church. Right. <laughs> right. Like literally like the march. Press on. I don't know what you come to do. But it's pretty much I can go to church and play all those things, right? Yeah. I mean, they just kind of became like sort of these sort of real composed sort of pieces. Yeah. But like all of those things, man, even like Right Direction when we did Unclassified. Yeah. Right. I need more love. All these different riffs and things that I've always taken from actual full on church services. Yeah. Right. From our church. So um, so kind of everything that we do, especially when we go into like a jam, that's pretty much like being in church, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if we go off into an improv thing, like that's very much like turning on the, the sacred steel church channel where we all came from. So one of the things that I love about playing with you, uh, is that you can lead the band in this way that it does feel like we're in church. Like you, that you have all these different cues that yeah. I mean, the, the musicians have to be attentive and know what's going on. But yeah. you know, there's been times when when we've gotten together, and you won't tell me. You you kind of thrive a little bit on not telling me what we're gonna do, <laughs> you know? and then yeah. you direct the yeah. band in a way where everyone kind of knows. Like, okay, hits right here. You cue and and there's all there's there is a language to it. Like you know when you're gonna hit on the one, and then you're gonna pause on like the four chord. And, yeah, like, and let yeah, you yeah. sing over that a little bit. It's a whole entire language that, that, like I said, it's 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 literally a, it's almost like the Buena Vista Social Club story, right? To yeah. where this language has been in my whole church's existence and in my whole family. Like literally, my great grandfather and all those guys was sort of in with the founders of the church. So, right. like. So they grew up with that language. My grandparents, my parents, me, like we all grew up with this same language, right? I could literally go back there. And, you know, it's, it's like going down to like, you know, down to down to uh, Mississippi somewhere, right? And trying to play some blues. They'd be like, man, what the hell are you doing, man? There ain't no damn blues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you ain't from here, huh? You don't know about the Delta blues, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things, man. You know, like, it's just like, you can't really explain it, but we do have our own language and the placement, the way notes are like the way notes are played, you know, it's kind of like. Oh, come down here, my Lord, come down here. You know, come down here. Oh. 
all that could be going on like while like the singers are singing, everything's happening. So all that'll be going on. And then when, when everything stops. So you really got to take over the song from the singer and everybody, you know? The interesting thing about what you're doing right there is you are the bass player, the choir, oh, yeah. and the lead singer at the same time. Well, and and you have the ability and, and the pedal steel as an instrument um, to emulate the voice, in my opinion, maybe better than any other instrument, you know? Well, that's like we like that's the thing, man. Like, so you when we were growing up in church, you had to be all of these different people because right. there'd be many times you would go. Right. And you'd be like, all right, man, so and so didn't show up. So it's just me, the guitar player and the drummer. There's no bass player. So you wind yeah. up. You know? Yeah. So you had to be all of these different things or sometime you don't, you know, the bass player is there. So you just got to play. You got to play rhythm and lead. you kind of had to play all of these different things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you had to be different characters and singers finished singing, you know, you had to, <laughs> you know, you had to be all of these different people, you know? I know that a lot of your family are musicians. Do they all, they all sing and play for the most part? Yeah. Basically, yeah, pretty much. It's mainly well. Well, see, my father's side is just mostly all singers. Like it's right. literally like three hundred singers. Yeah, including <laughs> right? including your sister Lanisha. Shout including out to my Lanisha. sister. Like, bro, you you got to meet my brother. My brother lives in L.A. Yeah, he's one of the biggest vocal coaches in in all of music. Man, he works on all of the shows, the voice, and he tied into everything. Man, right, all of the right. all of the shows with Diddy and like he grew like he grew up with Diddy and all of them. Man, yeah, like so yeah. like he's the guy. You like you'll never see him on stage because I think he's sort of scarred because as a kid he was like the big star. Yeah. So yeah. he sang he sang at every church function, every family function there was. So when it come as he got older, he's like, I don't know what happened. He won't go on stage now. Wow, crazy, <laughs> crazy. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsors. Once you started playing in clubs, like things 
grew really fast. You know, you were all of a sudden, I remember at that same time, because Soul Live and, and the family band were kind of happening around the same time. I think we were a little bit before you guys, but, you know, you guys mm-hmm. were doing uh, Wetlands and then that grew to, you know, bigger shows and bigger shows. Were you yeah. aware of this scene? I mean, not that you guys obviously crossed over past with the jam band scene. You guys were all over the map with who you were playing with. But were you aware of like what the jam band scene was or any of these bands were? Bro, I had no clue what was going on. <laughs> we literally had no clue, man. Yeah. It was kind of weird, man. It was like, I remember like as we were... Like once we started to do all of these shows with like Clapton and a bunch of people like later on, right? And Dave Matthews and all, and you start to get into these shows where you're like opening arena and amphitheater shows. We didn't know what to do because we came from church, which is all jam for however long you wanted to do. Then we went to like the hippie jam band scene, right? Right. right. Where where two 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 hour sets, right? Yeah. So we're just like, okay, guys, we're gonna play, we're gonna play, right? And so then we went to all of that. It's like, okay, guys, you got an Eric Clapton set, forty minute set. I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. So I remember, like, those that 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 was like a status. That was like a shock, man, because we didn't know what to do. It's like, how the hell do we turn these songs into like five minute songs? Right. Because they were like, they're like, hey, man, that was a great set, but you guys only did two songs in forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So that was like that whole shift. So I didn't. We didn't really know. I didn't know who anybody was. Yeah. We didn't know what it meant we didn't know what was going on it was just kind of like play with string cheese play with crabs and soul live and their chuck's band and then play with you know i remember it was victor wooing them at the time and it was yeah. widespread panic and that's what happened then we started doing a bunch of shows with widespread panic then it was like you said he was like yeah you do a show with widespread panic today then it's like clapped in tomorrow then it's like yeah. the day matthews band then it's like back to the jam band scene <laughs> but you knew about clapton right and, and, and uh like day matthews was that on your radar at all well growing up no i mean we would know like from watching name, award yeah. shows and yeah, things yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah you would know the name we didn't really listen to rock and roll music like i didn't right, right. literally i didn't listen to the stevie ray vaughn was the first tape that i got in what would i say 96 97 right right and it was funny because going back to jim marco Right. I mean, yeah, I heard of Hendrix. You know, you hear about these people. Of course, we all know who James Brown was, right? Yeah. But in 1999, after that Sacred Steel convention, Jim, Jim Marco was like, so have you, he, same question you just asked me. I was like, well, no. I was like, well, who? He's like, have you ever heard of the band? I was like, well, who the hell is that? He's like, have you ever heard of the Allman Brothers? I was like, I heard of the Allman Brothers, but I, you know, I was like, that's really not my thing. Right. So then fast forward like a month later, right? I'm at my father's house and I get this these two huge boxes and it was like two huge boxes of CDs that Jim Markle had sent me. And it was literally everything in there from P funk to the grateful dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all I did for like the next sort of few years. I mean, I kind of got stuck on a certain stuff. I was like, I was a Zeppelin fan. Then I got into Aerosmith. Then I got into, you know, all of that stuff. So that was all new and it's still new. You know, I tell people, People don't realize, like, I was driving to L.A., like, what, two years ago? And I got on, like, Siri, like, the, the vinyl channel, whatever that was. And I was like, well, who the hell is this band? And it was like, I'm ready for love. Oh, baby, I'm ready for love. Yeah. And it was Bad Company, right? And I was like, right. who the hell is this band? Right. So then I just got into Bad Company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got right? some bangers. 
Uh, man, they got some crazy bangers, man. So once once you guys got so you guys got signed. I know you did one independent record. You guys got signed to Warner Brothers. And yeah. once once you were in the studio making records, what was it like the transition, you know, from doing these 40 minute jams to trying to make, you know, songs and and, and make records yeah. on a major label? It was actually fun, man. It was it was confusing and fun at the same time because I think we were all learning the whole record process and Warner Brothers, like you remember all those times in LA and Warner oh, Brothers yeah. and right. And it was like, it's just so funny how the music business has changed, right? Because Warner Brothers would be like, hey, come on out to LA for a month, man. Yeah, just yeah, just spend time making music and doing all of that. You're like, oh really? Like, yeah, 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 yeah you gotta have the hotel room for a month in a in a car. In <laughs> fact, I, I gotta touch on that for a second, because some of my <laughs> we got some fun memories from that time period because I came and worked on the record with you a little bit. And uh, I remember we had the suite at the grafting for like a month or two and so many people were coming through and hanging out and uh if you remember i don't know if you remember this but i had been hanging out i'd been working with bruno mars and jeff basker back then and they came by and hung out and uh i remember i was like who is this little dude man yeah yeah exactly (laughs) i was like get this little get this little bruno mars cat out my room man yeah right (laughs) and we snuck him into the roxy i think that night and he's uh, i think you probably said soul i played the roxy like i remember during that time but those were some good times man and i remember working with you and mark batson and in the studio, the studio was locked down, and I remember that. Like you'd be, you literally, like Mark Baston would have the studio for like the whole year, right? And you just show up, and you're like, "Yo, what's going on, Mark? What's what's up, man?" You're like, "Ah, come on, man, bring your guitar, man," and just that crazy stuff. Man. Look, even years after that, when I was, which was literally the final year of this whole record making model, man. Like when we was recording with T Bone Burnett, man, I yeah, literally had yeah. a hotel room and a car for five months and Warner Brothers was like what's going on there I was like well we on tour now man and T-Bone said come back when we finish tour right. and T-Bone's like and so T-Bone would call the label like Robert's gonna leave his bags in the car here and he's gonna keep the hotel room because you know because we were at that time we were working out of two studios we were working out of the Village Studio down in Santa Monica yep. right yep. then we were working at his studio Right up in Beverly Hills. So that was like that was I remember that was the final year of that whole model of like huge record budgets. Because then they, they had had something called an AR coordinator. I was like, what the hell is an AR coordinator? Yeah, yeah. Like she was in charge of making sure all money doesn't get spent on me. Because guess what? Nobody's buying records anymore. <laughs> I mean, it, people don't realize that how much that um, industry changed so fast. I mean, imagine another industry. I think I was reading this the other day that it's currently at like 7%. Like within a few years, uh, it dropped 93%. You know what I mean? Within like, I think six years or something like that. I mean, imagine, so it's like a whole different world. You know, like you're saying, we used to just have, you know, these budgets that seemed like limitless. Now, pretty much making records is like on us. You know, it's like we, I mean, I, I, you know, there's, we still do label deals and stuff like that, but the, it's, it's like 10% now of the advances or the, the budgets that we used to get. It's crazy. I don't even, I'm still learning the new model like it's funny like because when you like our age right yeah and then you get these like 20 you get somebody like this 20 like marcus king and his younger guys now yeah. like it's two different old models right yeah like they don't have anything the same that how we used to do 
Yeah, in fact, uh, some the one thing about it is that there's a lot of people, there's two sides to it, in my opinion, because there's some people that are really good at making records themselves and they can do it in their house or whatever. And then there, and then there's other people who, you know, they, they, they do need the real studios and the producers and the songwriters. Yeah. And so yeah. I think we're losing out on certain things and then we're gaining on other things. But like now, like I, I've been working with younger artists and they're used to making yeah. records for nothing you know they're like yeah. oh well my friend will do this for free and then i'll do this for free over there it's just a whole yeah. different process that you know right. again i'm like trying to get my head around it you know i've kind Me of too, found like- a, i've found a middle ground with you know making my doing a lot myself at home but i still like to go in the big studios and mix and and do certain things in the big studios well that's what i was trying to trying to tell everybody it's like it's so much of a different model to where we trying to see, you always trying to see like, okay, we on this label. And then the label calls and says, well, sorry, man, we're not going to pay for this promotion thing. Like, well, what what the hell we signed for? Right. Like, sorry, we're not going to play for this marketing thing. It's like, well, I don't understand. Right. It's like, well, right. you know, we're not going to pay for radio. So it's like, it's very confusing now. Right. Cause it's like, yes. it's like, what matters? Like, is it radio? Is it? Is it, you know, Spotify and now you got Twitch and you got all these different things. I don't even freaking know. It's hard to keep up. It's really hard to keep up. There's definitely no yeah. science to it. I know that. Like some people are able to to craft their lane, you know, by just doing a lot of content, you know what I mean, and doing Instagram. It's funny, like I've I've made music videos in the last few years that I'll like spend all this time and money on. I'll put it on Instagram. I'll get way more plays off of me like fucking around. You know what I mean? Like of course, playing of a couple course. riffs and like laughing. That'll get like twenty times the the views of like this crafted video. Yeah. It's just like me down here. Like I was playing something, you know, and I was think it was on, you know, I did it on Instagram or something. I put it on there and it's like, it was just me sitting right here playing. It's like, yeah. wow, this is 25,000 views. I never got that before. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, I think it's just different because fans see, they hear, they listen. It's just the whole scope of how people get, because you remember back then, right? Like we would play at the Bowery and all of these clubs and tickets were like $10. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you, people would, you would be a part of this whole music experience. And then remember the wetlands, they would clear out one show and then another one comes in. Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> right? right. And it's like, it was just this whole world back then, man. Yeah. Right. Then you'd be people buy the CD, you know, they buy a t-shirt, they buy a CD, then you off to the next thing. And it's like, now it's like nobody buys anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can just let now. I mean, it's interesting because the younger, you know, my nieces and and uh, like other young people that I know, they're so used to getting everything for free. You know, even like subscriptions, they don't want like, you know, people just want to yeah. listen off of YouTube because they don't want to pay the 10 bucks a month. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, that the live music scene keeps us afloat. I mean, obviously, like publishing and syncs and licensing, it helps. But, yeah, it's a, it's a different world, man. Hopefully yeah. when, this, when this, you know, I was talking to my brother about it a while uh, this past weekend. And, you know, his theory is that, you know, back in 19, like 18, the Spanish flu hit and then the roaring 20s followed that. So, he, you know, a lot of people think that this next decade is going to be a great one in terms of like art and music and 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 
people supporting culture. And I got my fingers crossed that we'll bounce back, you know? It's just a whole new mentality. It's a whole new wave of things to sing about, things to write about, right? Like I told you earlier when we started about putting all these things into perspective, like there's this whole new way of life that we've all become accustomed to now that like that is going to, like he said, is going to inspire these new lyrics, these new meanings, new songs. Like, look, let me, when the whole George Floyd thing happened, right? It's just like my grandmother was like, like, I couldn't imagine, I, like, I could have never thought I would so, see the day when the whole world is protesting racism. Right. You know, like you got hundreds of millions of whites and millions and millions, tens and hundreds of millions of blacks all over the place, all supportive to end this ugliness. Of, it's like, like, like what you want to like, like whatever religion you want like, but we're tired of racism. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and like, like that just happened during this pandemic in the midst of all of that. I know one thing, ain't nobody going to turn down a gig after this. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Everyone, that's the thing is that everyone's going to be trying to do every gig. We're all going to be like running, running towards the, the festivals and It's going to be whatnot. a lot of press featuring. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of features, a lot of features coming up. Well, I mean, yeah. did, I got another question. Did you ever foresee that you playing the steel would turn into arena tours i think it's four is it four grammy nominations you got now six six right. oh my bad my bad um <laughs> it's a lot though man and uh, like countless tours i mean did you ever see you know play that that you playing the steel in church would turn into something like that no, I never did, man. It's it, and that's what's that, that was the crazy part about. It. Like it was all just happening, and we were kind of enjoying just the whole ride. I mean, I still am, you know. It's just kind of like everything's, but I never saw it. You, you, it just happened, right? right and it right. was literally, and it was kind of funny. I forget who I was talking to. I don't know if it was Brand. I think it was Brandy, right? I ran into Brandy that time at the, at the uh, the widespread panic show that they did at Capitol Theater last year. Yep. And that's when she was just going through the whole list of like all of the New York City freaks and that whole sort of beginning phase. And it was like Annabelle and all of them were like, yeah. remember that? And it was like message boards. And it's funny because I'd never really thought about it, but it was kind of like it was that with Danny Owen and all of that. It was kind of like yeah. the whole widespread panic message board is what got the word out about Robert Randolph. And that's what it was. It was like yeah. it was like the widespread panic message board right, <laughs> and all of their right. fans. Right. Then it turned into like, then it was kind of like the fish fans. Then it went on to everything else. Right. And then we yeah. kind of built this whatever thing. Right. Yeah. And, but I was like, you are so right. I never thought about it as like it being the wise, because I remember it was Danny Owen and Brandy yeah. and all, because as we yeah. were, as we were at that wise or panic show, it was like all of them were there. Right. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. No, I remember those, those early NYC freaks, Shows. Yeah, I mean, that's ball. what's that's what's so interesting about this community, which I mean, I feel like I am, you know, I, I never would have imagined myself in like this, jam, what they call the jam band community growing up, because I mean, I like a lot of that music, but, you know, it was. But what what I love about it and what I embrace about it is that when they like something it yeah. they spread it to all of their all of their friends and this network and then they support yeah. every they support you they'll do they'll follow you through anything you know what i mean exactly. and they'll support exactly. you through anything and yep. uh 
and and always like come out and bring bring that vibe to. So yeah, I, I became like really really thankful for it in the early days of Soul Live. And even seeing you, it confused me a little bit that like yeah. this kind of hippie world is part of it. But then I also think that it's it's not even really like a music. It's not about the style of music. It's more about the energy yeah. and about the crowd it's, and about the scene. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, because I don't know how they do it. Right. I mean, I get tired of listening to music and it's like, gee, man, y'all guys going to another show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like these people will go to shows every day. Like they'll go to two a day. Right. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Like sometimes my head is like, I'm fried. I'm like, I can't listen to another guitar note. Like um, another, I can't listen to one more horn. I don't know how they do it, but it's just like you said, it's like, I mean, that's kind of it. Like we make the music. Then you have all these music fans that they spend their whole life and all their energy. And let, let's listen, they spend their money, right. To come see us all play and perform and be a part of this. And they spread, like you said, they spread the word. So I'm only thankful for all of that. Looking back on, I mean, like, look, when you think about all of us who's had careers and who's had like, like we all been friends now for like, you know, 20 years, like you said. Right. Yeah. And all of these people, like they would have never told me that, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like we grew up, I grew up in Irvington in Newark, New Jersey, man. It's like, we played with an all black church, man. And like now, you know, now I got just as many white friends as I do black, probably more oh. white friends now. Right. right just right. because we've been connected. And then all of these other just people, man, going to Japan and China and right. Just just crazy that like this guitar and music has like taken us all around the world. Yep. Met kings, queens, presidents, princes, princesses, right? Fans, you know, everybody. And that's just the most it's just sometimes it becomes the strangest thing when you think about it. Right, <laughs> right. And it goes back to what I was saying. It's like now that we're kinda in one place for a little while, the you know, reflecting on it has been kind of nice, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or at least the, the appreciation for it has grown, yeah. at least for me. Um, I wanted to ask you another thing. Your family and, and the church, how did they feel about you going into secular music and, like, all the success that you, you know, gained in that world? Well, you know what's crazy? Like, both on my mother... And my father, like my mother's side, like my mother and all of them grew up with George Clinton and all of them, yeah. right? Gary Scheider, like Gary Scheider and P-Funk is literally like my third cousin, right? So like, so they grew up with all of them. So then my father's side is a bunch of, it's all gospel, right? So all these gospel singers and everybody. So, but our church was very strict, the church organization. They didn't allow people to go out and play and sing at anywhere. I mean, literally you couldn't even go to another church and play. Like you only wow. had to play in the, House of God, Chitlin Circuit, right? So, yeah, so when we started playing, you would get the old people from the church that'd be like, Robert Randolph is a devil. Yeah. He out there playing a devil's music for all those people. Right. And her. But I was younger, so it didn't bother me. Yeah. But, like, the older guys, I don't know if you remember, but remember when I had, like, Calvin and Ted and Aubrey Jan on the Austin City Limits thing? Yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah. Like when that thing showed on TV, the leader of the head of the church literally at the main convention in Nashville went and like, like did this whole preaching sermon about like, you know, you guys are the devil hanging out with Robert Randolph on TV, you know. And since that day, like they like threw Calvin out of the church. He couldn't play no more. Aubrey Jen couldn't play for like a year or two. Like he was like, yeah, I kind of felt bad. I was like, wow, man. I was like, but then at the same time, like, I think after that, I mean, they've all changed now because they were all like trying to right their wrongs now, like being in this, you know, but 
it was just crazy how that all happened, you know? So my family kind of, because they got to really got to stay loyal to the church, you know? So, I mean, to be honest with you, it never really bothered me because as we were traveling and as we were going out to play and we're meeting all these people playing all this music, I start to see how we were bringing, sharing this gift that God gave us with all of these people, you know what I'm saying? Who otherwise we would have never met or shared this gift. I mean, when when I would tell them, I was like, man, do you know all of the emails and all of the messages we get from people saying that they was going to commit suicide or they was feeling down or so forth and so on. And then after they came to the Robert Randolph show or whatever happened, right, they feel better and so forth and so on. I mean, people from jail and all this kind of stuff all through the years. So it's like, you know, it just goes to show you, man, like, you know, old people are wrong about a lot of stuff or, right, or not even right. old people. Traditionalists, I would say. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, the the message in your music is always about love and family and all those things. I mean, so it's it's only spreading joy and good things. You know what I'm saying? It's all. I mean, that's always been the message, man. And yeah. like, and the more I think about it, it's kind of like that's who we are, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. I can't go out there and do, you know, I can't do what Soul Live do. I can't go out there and do it. <laughs> Kraz and them do. I can't go yeah. out there and do what John Mayer do. It's like, this is who we are. That's what yeah. we do. Like, And when you think about it, all of those guys were different. Marvin Gaye and P-Funk and yeah. James Brown. As much as you think James Brown and P-Funk was the same, they were totally different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Sly Stone was different. You had Zeppelin is different than the Beatles, right? So it's like everybody sort of have this niche and these things that you get into it, and I look, come to accept it a long time ago. It was great talking to you, man. Man, you too, man, and I appreciate you. Um, and, man, I'm thankful we've gotten to play together a lot over the years. I hope we get to do it again soon, man. Yes, sir, bro. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. I want to thank Robert for being on the show. Always a pleasure to talk with him. And uh, before we go, we're going to play a track from his first album, and this one's called I Need More Love.
Eric Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. <laughs>